This is a recording for the Church of the Resurrection. We are an Anglican church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Our worship includes the proclamation of God's Word, the regular celebration of the Holy Communion, and an expectation that the Holy Spirit is active in the church and our lives. Please join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Boys and Girls Club on 824 East 14th Street. Lord, lavishly give it to us today, Lord. Lavish your spirit on us, that our hearts may be open to the word that you have here for us. This word that we must keep our eyes on you as we persevere and run with endurance the race set before us. Lord, we can't do this without the help of your Holy Spirit. So be present, Lord. Keep our eyes on Christ. Pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you have favorite Bible stories? I definitely do. I love the story of the prophet Elijah on the Mount Car- top of Mount Carmel uh, versus the prophets of Baal. How the prophets of Baal, they get their chance to call on their God. And Elijah even trash talks a little bit. He's like, where's your God? Is he going to the bathroom? It's a great story. Not only does he, he teases them, and then it's his turn. And, and like he, he knows that he worships the living God. So not only does he build an altar, he puts stones on it, and he douses it with water and water and water and water. And when he prays, fire from heaven comes down and not only burns the wood, which is soaked in water, but it also burns the very stones of the altar. This, this, this fire that is so hot, this fire that can only be from heaven. It's a great story. And um, we also have the story of, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she is told that, she, that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her and that she's going to bear a son, the Son of God. And she doesn't say no thanks. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And just a few verses after that in Luke, we have the Magnificat, just these beautiful words from Scripture, Mary's song of praise, um, that shows not only this, this gratitude and this joy at being the Lord's servant, but also that shows that the mother of Jesus was biblically literate. She knew her Bible. So I'm going to read the whole thing because it's awesome. She, she said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What a beautiful passage from Scripture. What a beautiful picture of, of, of the Lord coming and, and, uh, and her response in, in obedience and in gratitude. So great. And then there are stories I like for other reasons, maybe less serious reasons. In Acts 20, um, it says that Paul is preaching, and then it says that he spoke 
long into the night, past midnight. And it says that someone fell, he spoke so long that someone fell asleep and he fell out the window, a third story window. It describes Paul's talk as prolonged. If you don't know this story, I won't spoil it for you. It's in Acts 20. Let me just add, you know, parenthetically, that I've never preached so long that anyone fell asleep and fell out a window and died. Another story I like for the same reason. It makes me laugh at first, but then actually does have a profound side as well because we see the power of God working in the story in Acts 20. It's a story of the disciples James and John and their mother. Do you know the term helicopter parents? These parents that hover over their children, making sure that, that they never get hurt. And of course, it, ne- it never works, right? But I hear stories today of, of college professors hearing from parents because like, somehow parents are doing that on behalf of their kids. And I've even heard stories of bosses hearing from parents of college graduates. Like, you hurt my kid's feelings. These are, they're helicopter parents, and it turns out there were helicopter parents in the first century as well, because the mother of James and John goes to Jesus and says, I want you to grant me this request. In your kingdom, I want one of my sons to be in your right hand and one on, one on the left. She goes, it's not enough for her to be like, hey, kids, like, I, want the, I want you to have a good life. Like, ask Jesus. She, she goes around them and goes to Jesus and said, I want a special place in, in your kingdom for my children. And Jesus responds, he says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Of course, he's talking about his death. He said, do you really want to follow me? Do you really want a special place? Because my kingdom is a different kind of place. In my kingdom, it's not always a comfortable thing. But what they wanted is a comfortable place, one where you merely lift a finger and you're weighted on hand and foot. But Jesus is like, no, in my kingdom, things are different. In Jesus' kingdom, your place has been bought by his suffering, by his blood. Your place in his kingdom has been bought for a price. Today's reading from Hebrews, the writer tells us to run with endurance the race that is set before us And then the key to the entire passage is looking to Jesus. That's the key to understanding this reading. Looking to Jesus, the one who has shown us a different way, the way of the cross. So let's turn to page 8 in our bulletins, and we'll look at the reading from Hebrews chapter 12. It's probably a familiar text for those of you who have been in the church for a while. Page 8 in your bulletins. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there are different ways of thinking about what it means to be a Christian. We talk about our walk with Jesus. We talk about following Jesus. We talk about... Um, being disciples. Here the writer of Hebrews calls it a race, to run the race that is set before us. And the key to this race is it's different than other races because this one has eternal consequences. And And the writer is saying, you need to set aside these things that are holding you back. So he refers to them as weight 
and sin. So weight, which, which hinders us, and, and sin, which, um, and they may be referring to the same thing. It's not actually clear in the language um, what it is uh, that he's saying. But it's clear that, that, that we want to get rid of everything that's hindering us from our performance in this race. Have you seen runners lately? I mean, when, when I look at the Olympics, I'm like, my gosh, like these people are, are, are chiseled human beings. They're, they work so hard on their bodies to, to make the Olympics. Uh, they, they do anything. Like their uniforms, I mean, are, 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 they have no wind resistance at all. They, the, the, the guys, they shave their legs because even, I guess, leg hair provides wind resistance. They eat a diet so pure. I remember listening to hurdler uh, Lolo Jones a few years ago. I remember her talking about, um, like, what are you going to do like, when you've finished your race? And she's like, I'm going to eat a cheeseburger. And, like, because like, they had to eat such a perfect diet that like, all she wanted was a cheeseburger. And the way that she described a cheeseburger in that interview, it made me, like, my mouth water. Like, the, like she described it in this way that I, like, I wanted to go to the closest five guys and get a cheeseburger. It sounded so good. So with all that these runners put into their races, with everything that for, for months and even years, the way that they prepare their bodies, can you imagine them allowing themselves to be weighted down to carry a backpack or to, to, to be weighted down or hindered in any way in their race. So if our, if our walk with Jesus, if our discipleship is the same way and we're called to run with endurance, shouldn't we also cast aside anything that is hindering us? Weight and sin, which, which hinders and slows us down. We must do everything that we can to make sure that we are unhindered. And then the writer urges us to, it's, he says, to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Why do we need endurance? Because the race is hard and it's filled with hazards. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Jesus taught this parable, and it's one of the few parables that we actually get explained to us, that Jesus takes the time to explain each part. Um, and so the parable of the sower, the sower seeds the word. Uh, he sows the, the, the word of God. So these seeds are being cast out, and some of them fall on the path, some of them fall in thorns, some of them fall in, in rocks, and some of them fall in good soil. And of course, the ones that fall on the path, in the thorns, on the rocks, um, those do not last. But the ones that fall in good soil, those spring up and are bountiful in their harvest. They, 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 felt they have tremendous yields. And then Jesus explains, and I'm going to read the explanation, which is kind of long here. Jesus says, the sower sows the word. And the ones along the path where the word is sown, when they hear... Satan immediately comes and takes the, away the word that is sown in them. So that's the first group. And these are the ones that are sown in the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others, so that's the second group. The third group are sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word. And it proves unfruitful. 
But those that were sown in the good soil are those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So do you see these hazards that Jesus says that there are? For one thing, we have, we have a, an enemy, a spiritual enemy in Satan who wants to steal that word from us. And then we have those who, who do not actually grow roots, that, that when, when trials come, that our, our, our faith cannot withstand it. We have others who the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of the world, the desire for things enters in and chokes out that word that is sown. I've mentioned the Babylon Bee before here. It's a wonderful website of Christian satire. It's very funny. Um, uh, this summer, uh, some pretty high-profile names uh, in Christianity have fallen. People who have been Christians for decades, and they've very publicly proclaimed that they do not believe anymore. Uh, the latest has been a singer and songwriter in the Australian megachurch movement, it's called the Hill, the Hillsong Movement. Um, some of their songs you have most certainly heard um, that this guy has written. Um, I have his name here somewhere. Maybe I didn't write down his name. Anyway, a guy. Um, so anyway, the Babylon Bee took the opportunity to write a story titled, Christian Artist Renounces His Faith Now That Jesus Has Served His Purpose of Providing Fame and Fortune. It's unfortunate that he profited from being a Christian became a millionaire, and now he walks away. And as he walks away, he stands to make even more money because he gets to sell books on, like, hey, here's, here's why I walked away from Jesus. And everyone who, who is hostile to Christianity will buy that book and be like, ah, look at these Christians. Um, he didn't elaborate extensively as to why he left. Um, he made a few comments asking why the church didn't address specific issues, issues that the church addresses all the time. It's very confusing like it was a social media post. Um, but I've heard stories from other high-profile Christians who have left the faith. And for so many of them, it's because when trials and tribulations came, they, 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 had, they didn't have the means to deal with it. And so this agrees me that there's, there's a, a false gospel being preached where when trials and tribulations and suffering and hardship come, that that seems like it's something that God promised us that we were able to avoid. Because there, there's so many people. Um, in fact, I remember uh, sharing with uh, Smitty and Clara one time uh, a, a video of this person. So people have testimonies of how they came to Jesus. This was like a testimony as how this person lost her faith. Basically, what she said was, like, we did everything right. We... Um, you know, they, they, they didn't cuss and they, they, they wait, saved themselves from marriage. Um, they did everything right. And they're like, but then when we got married, we had trouble conceiving. And then when we did conceive, um, our children had health problems. And these trials in, in her faith were enough to make her and her husband no longer believe in God. These difficulties were a surprise to her. So many atheists are atheists, not because they lack the proof that God exists, but because God hasn't worked out for them. Something's happened in their life, and they say, I can't believe in a God that would allow blank to happen. But what does the writer of Hebrews say to us? 
He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to what? To Jesus. The one who promises us a life free of suffering. Is that what Jesus promises? No. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus, the pioneer of our faith, showed us the path isn't the path of glory. It isn't the path of ease. It's the path of the cross. We wouldn't need endurance if our walk with Jesus were an easy walk. Jesus came to give us our best life now, then what's the problem with being slowed down on that path? Right now, for some reason I have in my mind, have you ever seen the movie WALL-E, where humanity is all transported to space, and like they get, they're so lazy, they just sit on these little things that move them around, they don't even walk anymore? If that's what Jesus has called us to, a life of just total ease, what's another 10 pounds of weight and hindrance on this path? What's another 20 pounds that's weighing us back if, if God's already uh, calling us to, to an easy life? Do you know what Jesus said to James and John? I cut off that story. So he said, do you really, wanna, do you really know what you're asking? Can you drink this cup? I cut off that story. Um, he took the opportunity to teach them a little bit more about his kingdom and about his kingdom values. He called his disciples together. So this kind of this exchange with the mother um, seemed to happen. He called his disciples together. He's like, listen, you guys got to hear this teaching. He's like, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And the great ones exercise authority over them. He's like, look at them out in there in the world. They have this, this hierarchy where the rulers are, are, are very privileged and, and they, they get to, to be they get to basically lord their authority over other people. He said, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus shows us the path. It's not the path of ease, of being served. And starting in verse 3, the author of the Hebrews points out that each of us are called sons. And he said, this isn't a guy-girl thing. This isn't like, this, this has everything to do with all the women here as it does the men. This is the reality that in those days, the firstborn male received two-thirds of the inheritance and the second-born male heir received the, 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 the other third. And if you're a third-born son, um, you don't get anything. And if you're a female, you don't get anything. But what the Bible teaches is that if you are a third-born son, an eighth-born son, a first-born female, a seventh-born female, you are a child of God and you are an heir. That you have this special place in God's kingdom. In baptism, you are heir to the promises of God. You are God's child. And what kind of father would God be if he did not discipline his child? What would you say about a parent who let their child play on the street? 
or let a child touch a hot stove. We'd say they're bad parents. But our God is a good father. And good fathers discipline their children. So whether our trials are from our own stupidity, whether they're self-inflicted or whether they see or whether they're um, they seem like cruel fate, let's not separate ourselves from God. He is our light in our salvation. And it's always hard to tell whether our trials are our discipline from God or um, sometimes that discipline is God lets us um, suffer the, the, the consequences of our own um, stupidity. But in the midst of those trials, do not run away from God. Where else is there to go? In the midst of a world of death and decay, is that what you're going to embrace? Or are you going to embrace the Lord of the resurrection? Or as Peter wrote it in 1 Peter chapter 4, he said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon to you to test you as though something strange were happen happening to you. Don't be surprised when trials come. It's part of following Jesus. Instead, let our trials cause us to embrace Jesus, to run to him, to run to the him, the one who can cause us comfort, the one who endured all things for our sake. God is in charge, and he knows our trials, and he knows our disappointments, he knows our joys. He knows them, and in this reading, he is saying, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that hinders us, that holds us back. Because if you think the race has been hard thus far, just you wait. If you think it's been hard this far, there are trials to come. And you know what? It's going to be okay. Because you have Jesus. Because you're not in this alone. You have Jesus. In the darkest valley, he's there with you. In the greenest pasture, he is there with you. As you cast aside every weight, he's there with you. He's unstrapping it from your back. He's there feeding you the purest lean protein, giving you energy for the journey. So let us set our eyes on him, and he will carry us through. Have you caught this theme this summer in all of our readings, this theme that, that God is in control, that God is the provider of all things, that, that in him and in him only, um, it, it, that's, the, that's the place where we need to put our trust. So that when we find ourselves, whether it's through trials, whether it's through health trials or financial trials or emotional trials or relational trials, the solution is Jesus and trust in him. And that, that we cannot let... Um, these difficulties and this suffering shake our faith, but let them draw us nearer and nearer to the one, the only one who can heal us.